You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Once you bought that, these people were really so-called stranded, that you'd have these kind of people stranded on a desert island, that's it. Once you buy that, then we can do anything we want. <laughs> like Sherwood said, just don't go too far, and we all laugh. Actor Bob Denver, today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Robert Osborne Denver graduated from college with a degree in political science. He then went on to become an elementary school teacher, teaching youngsters history and math. But today, this smart, well-educated, mild-mannered man who used to be a teacher is best known for this. The ship's aground on the shore of this uncharted desert isle with Gilligan. Gilligan's Island only ran for three seasons on CBS in the mid-1960s, but thanks to reruns and syndication, it has effectively never been off the air. And like so many other successful TV actors, Bob Denver got typecast, badly typecast. And like so many of his peers, eventually he stopped resisting that typecast and embraced it, appearing in several made-for-TV Gilligan's Island movies and appearing as Gilligan in guest spots on other sitcoms. In 1993, Bob Denver wrote a book called Gilligan, Maynard, and Me, and that was a reference to the other popular TV series he co-starred in, The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. Now, the day I met him, which was the day before Thanksgiving, 1993, I brought my then 13- and 11-year-old daughters with me to meet the man that they knew only as Gilligan. So here now, from 1993, Bob Denver. You know, over the years, people asked me if I wanted to write one, and I just kind of put it off. And then last year, um, an agent called and said, I think I could sell one. I said, well, okay, but I'm not doing an autobiography. I just want to do, you know, the two shows and maybe just a little bit about what I'm doing now and... They said, okay, well, we'll pitch it. And he called me back and said, fine, somebody wants it. And I said, okay. So I sat down for two months and tried to figure out how I was going to write it. I didn't know about voice. You have to have a voice in publishing. <laughs> I said, what are they talking about, a voice? So finally I decided the way I'm the method and the kind of style I wanted to put it in. And they said, that's a great voice. I said, oh, thank you. Whatever <laughs> that means, you know. Now I hear it all the time, you know. I still do a take when they say, in your book, when you said, and I go, huh? Who are they, who are they talking to? <laughs> oh, me. That's right. But it's just, a, you know, a short little book, and it's just fun. It was just done for, you know, give you a couple of laughs and kind of maybe explain some of the stuff that happened on Gilligan and Dobie Gillis. But there, I, I did find more substance in here than maybe I expected to find. I mean, there, you give us... Good heavens, that I make a mistake? <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, you've seen books like this before, the, the ones that the real yeah. quickies that somebody just lends their name to. Okay, I, would, I did this series 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Yeah. Fine, I'll put my name on a book that somebody else wrote, throw some pictures in, I'll yeah. go on the tour. But I, I think, you know, some thought went into this, and I a learned bit, I learned yeah. quite a bit from this. Yeah. Uh, you know, after years and years of seeing the reruns of both the series, Right. And I remember the good guys. I'm one of those you ten do. people. I'm one of those one out of a thousand that <laughs> happens to remember it. I, I, I do, re- and but I remember I could never watch that show without thinking, you know, there's Gilligan. Again. Yeah, I think that's why I probably didn't make it either, because it was so it was immediately right after that, and I don't think people wanted to see me with long hair playing somebody that was fairly sane. Well, he was Rufus was all right, you know, and but he was in a real world, and I think that's probably one of the reasons a lot of fans said that to me after they said we just weren't ready to see you do anything else, you know. But that's okay. I had a good time doing it 
for a brief two years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm finding that I mean, over the summer, the professor, the Marianne were here. You know, William Shatner was here. Uh, Mickey Dolans was here over the summer. I mean, you've got a lot of very talented actors who have a lot of trouble because they're very successful series typecast them in one way or another. Oh, completely. Oh, yeah, I'm a 100% typecast, or if it's more than 100%, is that's what it is. But that's okay. You know, I didn't really stay in L.A. And about 70, 71, I decided I wanted out of there anyway. So there was no problem for me being typecast. You know, I just never thought it would run on as long as it has. You know, it just keeps picking up like those little kids here in this. Your little beautiful daughters here in the studio. <laughs> I mean, they started watching probably when they were a lot, lot younger. You know, and, and and they've been asking literally for months when they're going to get to come in and meet Gilligan. Sure, meet Gilligan. Will he will he be as dumb as he really is? <laughs> My wife gets that from some people once in a while. It breaks her up. They say, they get her aside. They say, is he like that at home? He, she says, what? Like Gilligan? She said, are you serious? <laughs> I mean, do you know anybody like that in your whole life? Would I be married to him if he was like that at home, like Gilligan? No, he's not. You know, it's much more like Maynard. Yeah, well, I suppose Maynard, yeah. <laughs> but uh, as you point out in the book and many times as you, uh, as you go episode by episode, how could they keep entrusting Gilligan with guard duty? They're why dumb. would this happen? And why would they give him a gun with a bullet? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's worse than Barney Fife, you know? No, I mean, it was what I liked about the show was that it, had no, it made no logical sense. You know, I mean, on the broad picture, the plot would advance correctly. I mean, if you bought, you bought the plot... In the very beginning, you had to buy the rest, and that was the whole series. And once you bought that, these people were really so so-called stranded. That you'd have these kind of people stranded on a desert island, and then that's it. Once you buy that, then we can do anything we want. Right. Like Sherwood said, just don't go too far. And we all laughed. We said, too far, Sherwood. What do you mean? But we understood he meant there's a certain point where ridiculous doesn't get funny. It just gets you know beyond belief. And so we kind of kept it within the bounds of. But I did things like I'd dive out of the hut and land outside on the mattress out there. But I had my, my stand-in dressed like me 30 feet away laying in the sand. So as soon as I hit the mattress, he got up and ran. But we'd cut right after that. So you'd say, if you had a chance, you'd say, wait a minute. What did you slide in his stomach 30 feet? That, that's impossible. But he had to slide, zoop, you know. <laughs> but it was all that kind of stuff. I love to put it in. You know, just little things like that. If you had a chance to study, you'd go, no way. Like when I was flying with the... Big wings, you know, and, and I was flying around, and I was really flying. I was doing a good job. So the skipper said, you can't fly. And I said, I can't. He said, no, and I fell right out of the sky. Gilligan, you can't fly. It's impossible. I can't? No. Gilligan. Gilligan, little buddy. Are you all right? Why did you have to say that? Impossible? Why did you have to say that? But that kind of humor, you know. And I remember once I was sitting on a board, and they, the natives dropped the board I'm sitting on. And I said, I want to do the, you know, roadrunner take. You know, I want to do the coyote when he looks at the camera, takes the two beats, and then falls. They said, oh, no, that's too much. I said, what? That's too much. <laughs> the director said, yeah, well, you know, that's, that's really unbelievable. I said, why don't we shoot it both ways, and we'll see which one you like. Of course, they used the one where I looked in the camera and went, uh-oh, and then fell, you know, like I was suspended for that two seconds. And then, of course, we all remember that very dignified episode where you all got the chicken feathers all over you as you stood oh, in front of the kept... television camera for Mars. Oh, we did that, like I said, in the book forever, because <laughs> the first time there were enough feathers, and then something else happened the second take, and we, it was like every, you know, three or four weeks, they'd say, oh, we got to do another take on them. We'd go, 
The Mars show, right? With the chicken feathers and... Look! Look! We've proved it! There's life on Mars! Yes. And what life? Chicken people! Finally, the prop man who had to collect the feathers and buy them and everything, he got fed up with the whole thing. So he went out and just... And they said, give me some money. He said, if you want me to do it right, just give me some money. So they gave him enough money and he came back with bags and bags and bags of feathers. I've never seen so many. It was just, it was unbelievable. And of course, the, you know, wardrobe, they had to sew all the feathers on. So they got fed up with the two. And when we finally got the last costumes, they said, is this all right? And we looked, I said, we can't even get into it. I mean, it's hard to even put it on. It was just, everything was covered. And then, of course, they glued more, you know, so finally at the end. But that was a fun show to shoot. Well, it strikes me in reading your book that one of the th- most fun parts about both uh, major series that you were involved with was the dream sequences, the, oh, thing, yeah. the thing where you got to escape from, for half an hour or so from Maynard or from Gilligan. You yeah. could be somebody else for a while. Oh, it was really fun. And plus it was, you know, it was just as silly as what we were doing before, except it was in another time period or another, you know, actor or something. Where you got to play a little different character, which was, you know, it gives you that break. And we'd always take it. About at least a half a day, sometimes a whole day, to shoot the dream sequence on another stage. So you even got off the same stage you were on and got to wander over. And, of course, when we had more visitors and during the dream sequences than I think than any other time. Because they say, what are they doing? And they say a dream sequence. They say, oh, boy, everybody in rush. Because they see us dressed up as something else, you know. But it really also got to show got to show us. You got to show us the the, the really broad range of characterizations, the accents, the kinds of things you could do. Yeah, well... Yeah, it was, I guess it was true in the sense that, you know, we weren't just limited to the one character. We got to play all different kinds. You know, it was fun. It was really always fun. And I didn't know that until I started Dobie Gillis and we had the first dream sequence with the Cyrano de Bergerac. And, and I thought, well, I'm not stuck for, like, you know, as long as it runs, I'm going to have to keep doing the same character. And I, then, of course, in the fourth year in Dobie Gillis, Maynard got pure fantasy. He was blasted off to the moon with a chimp. And, you know, it was like it was... I got to play Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and... I got to shake the grocery store, which I loved, was Frank Fallon was inside, right? And to have the effect that the grocery store is being, you know, shook by me, they shook the camera, right? So we got ready for the take, and I reached down, and I made believe I was shaking it, and two guys kind of shook the camera. But Frank inside, he th- was like the San Francisco earthquake. He was all over the place, because he had to make up in his head what was happening. Well, he started throwing himself all over, and they said, cut, cut, wait a second, we need two more guys on the camera to shake it even more, because the way Frank's going, we're going to have to move the camera a lot more than that, you know? And I just remember standing there and looking in through the scrim, you know, instead of glass, you know, and they say, action. And they say, okay, go, Frank. And he'd start throwing himself all over the place, into the cans and into the wall, and banging and banging and banging. And I'm looking at the camera behind me, and it's going, wow, it's rocking back and forth. And so they had to match his action instead of him matching to the camera. But he was always that way. He was funny. After this short break, what Gilligan and Marianne used to do that would drive the writers of the show crazy... Now back to my 1993 interview with Bob Denver. Hey, you were the first beatnik on television. The only one. There was never any other beatnik. I'll never chase another girl again. Oh, you're going to live in a cave and become a helmet. Yeah, man, that's hermit. You don't understand. You're not chasing chicks? No, I don't understand. Clue me. Somebody said the other day, they said, you've been on television continually since 1959. I went, I, holy mackerel, you're right. It never dawned on me. Yeah, it's been on continually, never been off. 
So that's kind of interesting. I thought, my gosh, yeah. That's got to be a record that nobody else holds. Well, just because of Gilligan, because it never has been off the air. And then, of course, you know, Gilligan, I mean, Toby Gillis was on Nickelodeon for about six years there. I started picking up some young fans, little nine-year-olds going, Maynard. I go, what? <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> it, it, you know, my parents found it so irritating when I picked up the like man. Oh, yeah, and, uh, man, you know, cool. Oh, like, yeah, I'm sure <laughs> I made a lot of parents go, oh. Yeah, it was, it was not, I, I, I didn't pick it up very long, long enough to really irritate them. Yeah, it's yeah. long enough to, to kind of, you know, yeah, uh, sure. kind of grates on you a little bit. Right. But uh, I, I think what, what kids and adults alike like about both shows is that, as you pointed out, I've heard you in other interviews, the, the timelessness, that they don't, you don't refer to the Eisenhower administration, the Kennedy administration, no, uh, you know, no uh, politics, no uh, time anything like this. Uh, you know, I don't remember that AIDS episode that you did. No. I mean, there was just nothing. I mean, it was just a straight flat comedy. It really was, in the case of Gilligan, an island. Mm-hmm. I mean, away not only from the civilization of its time, but the civilization of our time as yeah. well. No, it was completely divorced and it was straight comedy. I mean, that's why I loved it. I mean, it had nothing to do with whatever was going on in the real world. I mean, they had their own problems, which were hilarious to me. I mean, the stuff that... And, you know, Sherwood got a lot of ideas from crew members sometimes. You know, they once they realized you could talk to any of us, that we had no, like, you know, you could just bring up anything you wanted, and you know, they come up to you. A lot of times I'd be doing a scene, which I thought was pretty funny, and some crew member in his 60s would come up to me and say, you know that scene you're doing now, and you're doing this, you know, the physical thing? And I said, yeah. And he said... Well, you know, if you did it, da 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 I go, oh, God, so obvious, right? So much more funny than what I was doing. You know, I say, oh, fine. He says, well, are you going to use it? I said, sure, I'll use it. If they like it, it's my idea. If they don't, it's yours. You know? <laughs> and that got to be the joke. But they could have come up any time. And then, you know, I realize, of course, these guys of 30, 40 years of watching people in front of cameras try to be funny. And once they realized they could come up and, you know, make suggestions, and we were more than happy to try them, even if it didn't work, or, you know, try it and see it work. And, and the same with Sherwood. He was always open. And so some crew member would say, why don't you do a show about, and we'd all go, tell him, tell Sherwood. That is the stupidest, <laughs> most ridiculous premise we've ever heard, you know. So he got input from a lot of people. You, know, so. you you did say something in the book that confirmed something I had suspected <clears throat> for a long time, and that is that you and Don Wells talked so fast <laughs> that you would sometimes do a scene far faster than the writers had intended it to have been always, done. Always, every time. They'd always get on the phone and say, they did it again, Sherwood. And he said, what, who? And he said, you gave that, you know, three-and-a-half-page scene, which is supposed to run about three minutes to, you know, Don, you know, Don in Denver. And they came in about, mm, I think it's 30 seconds. <laughs> he said, oh, okay, more pages will be down in a little while. You know, he'd have to write a whole other scene to put it in. Because you guys were motor mouths. Yeah, we were really fast, really fast. And plus, you know, in the syndication, they're cutting about three minutes out of it. So you figure out, you know, that's three minutes, three and a half minutes they cut out. As I told Sherwood, I said, where are those minutes they cut out for syndication? I want to make a movie. You know, I said, if all we had to do was just glue them together. It didn't make much sense when we shot it. We'll just put all those scenes we've lost. Somewhere, Ted Turner in some sub-basement somewhere has guys with little green no, eye shades. Probably, probably MGMUA in the files somewhere there. But they're, I think, the first ones that syndicated it. UA, I guess, United Artists. And some Christmas, they're going to come out with the video cassettes of Gilligan's Island, the lost episodes. And Sherwood swears he doesn't know where the outtakes are either. All the funny things we said and all the things that kind of went wrong and a few of the, you know, obscenities and profanities that came out of the actors' mouths once in a while. Jim, ba- Jim Backus was good at that. I oh, mean. he was. He was in You got to watch him close when he turned his back to the camera and was mumbling. You never knew. We really had to run for the sound man and say, can we hear that back? Oh, 
Jim, this is a kid's show. You didn't say that. What? What did I say? What did I say? I said, Jim, you know what just said. <laughs> he just grin, you know, and laugh. I tell you, between that and Tina Louise's cleavage, uh, you must have had a... <laughs> You're running around a lot. <laughs> it, does, it doesn't surprise you, does it, that most young men, and older men too, for that matter, uh, prefer Marianne to Ginger? The very first time in the 70s, early 70s, they had some kind of contest, and I thought... Ginger would just walk away with it because it seems the sex symbol and all that. And again, Dawn won like 75% to 15 to undecided. You know, I went, well, isn't that amazing? Mary Ann, Mary Ann, Mary Ann. Yes, sir. Just a minute. I've got a few more Mary Ann. <laughs> you know, and then over the years, it doesn't amaze me at all. You know, because all the guys, it's Mary Ann. You know, it's Mary Ann. Well, what about Ginger? Oh, uh, it's all right. You know, but it's really Mary Ann. She just struck him right between the eyes. It's like I said, you know, at airports when she's behind me somewhere and the young man doesn't know and comes up to me in his, in his 20s and he says, oh, I love the show and all that stuff. And I say, what about Mary Ann? And he oh, boy, she was hot. She was the best. <laughs> and I say, would you ever like to meet her? Oh, man, Mr. Denver, that would just be the most thrill of my life. And I say, well, there she is. <gasps> oh, 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 can't talk. He gets red in the face and he shuffles his feet and he mumbles and he turns to be nine years old right in front of me. Just immediately. <laughs> It's so much fun to watch. <laughs> the show is, I don't know, there's something about it. It's one of the, few, the handful of shows that no matter what else is on. I mean, there's, there's the Dick Van Dyke show, the Andy Griffith show, mm-hmm. Gilligan's Island, and occasionally the Beverly Hillbillies, right. I will admit to. But, uh, <laughs> you never beat Barney Fife. You never beat Don Knotts' Barney Fife. I mean, I still watch that. Now, I don't know how many times I've seen that. I did one episode. You know, I played a hillbilly. Home record? Dud. IQs. Easy, Dud. You done stole my darling Charlene, and now you're going to have to pay. And I remember it, that. And I was signing autographs, and this person came up with 8 by 10 of me doing the character. I said, where in the world did you get this? They said, well, we have the um, you know, video. I went, oh. He said, we just froze it and took pictures. And I went, I've never signed an 8 by 10 with me as the character, whatever dub or whatever yeah, yeah. it was, you know, dud. <laughs> but it was so funny. I just happened like a week ago, and I went, good heavens, you know, how in the world do people remember that, you know? Well, that's, that. there again, that's, I don't, Nick at Night doesn't have the Andy Griffith show, but they've got us so inured now to look for yeah, people stars in, in old sitcoms, right. you know, the William Shallards, you know, to see how many episodes yeah. of what shows you can find him in, uh, or Vito Scotti, how many episodes Vito of... Scotti's and everything. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you don't recognize him but half the time. But he's always that guy. Yeah, oh, I know him. I know him. He's really an excellent actor. One of the finest I've ever met. He can do anything, any accent, anything, and all of a sudden <laughs> he's that person. When he did the Japanese sailor with those Coke bottle glasses... <laughs> You judo expert, all right? Rock's a rock. I mean, I did. I took him. I said, let me see that. I put him on, and there's nothing you can't see. In fact, in about 30 seconds, less than 10 seconds, you felt ill. Started going, whoa, I think I'm going to be sick. And he wore them all the time. You know, it was one of his, you know, things he had in his prop box, you know. And I said, Vito, I don't even understand how you're getting around the set. I mean, I don't even... You need a guide dog or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm running out of time already. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? No, it's fine. It's a great interview. Thank you. Outstanding. Thank you Your so much daughters for coming. Are beautiful. Oh, aren't they? Must take after their mom, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Bob Denver died in 2005 at age 70. And you can find easy Amazon links to Bob Denver's book, as well as the Gilligan's Island videos, at our website, heardeverything.com. Now, Gilligan is not the only castaway I've ever interviewed. If you go to our website, heardeverything.com, you can also find my interview with 
Marianne, Dawn Wells. The creators of the writing. I mean, stop and think about what the silly things that they did. And then the prop people. I'm just crazy about what the prop people would come up with. The washing machine that Marianne pedals and the little car and the coconut tools to eat with. And while you're there, check out another interview with another popular TV actor who is somewhat typecast, Don Knotts. I hadn't seen Andy in a long time. I thought, you know what? He needs a deputy. He didn't have one in the pilot. So I called him up and uh, he said, that's a good idea. Let's go talk to him. At HeardEverything.com, you can find all of our past episodes. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, one of the best-known and most popular contemporary British mystery writers, my 2000 interview with P.D. James. I think from early childhood I've been rather fascinated by death. I've always been aware of the fragility of life and how short it is. So I think if I were writing a so-called straight novel, I can't imagine that death wouldn't come into it somewhere. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. <laughs>